the Zionist occupied government of the United States of America versus the world with Cat McGuire right here, right now on VT Radio. Let's go with host Johnny Punish. And we're back on VT Radio with the fantastic Kate McGuire from New York City. Uh, uh, did I say Kate? Did I say Kat? Kate or Cat? It's Cat. <laughs> I said Cat, didn't I? <laughs> you said Kate, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I've been talking too much. There's so much going on, Cat. It's it's incredible the amount of news that's hitting me in the head right now. I'm actually exploding right now. So um, what can I say? Sorry. <laughs> we all are. The world is exploding right now. Yes, yes. But before we get started, I want to explain my uh, keffiyeh. Uh, I'm wearing this in permanent protest uh, in solidarity, not only with the Israeli children and, and citizens that were murdered, uh, but with the Palestinians as well in the, in the Gaza and for all humanity that's getting murdered by this cabal of nonsense, what's going on in Gaza right now. I'm angry. I'm pissed off. I'm, uh, there's not a word for it. I've been, in, I, I'm an ethnically cleansed Palestinian. My mom is from Haifa, Palestine, 1939. You're looking at El Nakba right in your front, in your face. If Americans don't know what that is, I'm sorry for you, but it's time for you to learn that we've been under occupation for 56 years after El Nakba in 1948. And you want to tell me that Hamas is the cause of this? Bullshit. And excuse my language, but go fuck yourself. Okay, that's bullshit. If you actually care about the children of Israel and if you actually ch- care about the children of Palestine and all of humanity, then side with humanity. Just resolve this goddamn occupation. Okay, and let's end this damn thing and help every child in this in this world, including in the Middle East. Kat, what say you about this issue? I am 100 percent in agreement with you, Johnny. Uh, it's really bad what's going on right now. And we are in a uh, strange, strange bubble in the West where they seem to think it's about them. They're the ones who are hurt. A dear, dear friend just wrote me today, and she's a very intelligent person. I've known her for 30 years, Jewish. And she was like, are you too believing that they're raping babies and killing people, killing grandma? It's like, oh, my God. Where have you been? Yeah, and she's one of my most intelligent spiritual friends, um, right. and and she was upset because I didn't call to see how she's doing. How are you doing? How are my Arab friends doing? Right. I mean, it's all very self-referential, and um, Israel can continue to put out all manner of, um, we are up against the wall, this is a genocide against us, but the whole world knows, and the difference in the United States um, is um, we're at a different place right now that we are not necessarily going to support them like we did 9-11 when they did, uh, when Israel did 9-11 on us, because now there are um, kind of uh, two different groups that have woken up. And one is the woke, because the woke got the message so much about um, um, BIPOC people, uh, uh, black and people of color, um, in that Palestinians are the ones that are oppressed because they're people of color against the white supremacists. Um, and so, well, however you got there. Okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of lefties on our side at the rallies that I've been to since this all broke out for the very first time in years, I've been going to Palestinian rallies for, I hate it's sad to have to say for years. This is the first time I actually saw transgender people there in support and then, wow. of course, you know, um, there's Black Lives Matter that has come out in support. So that's a different kind of alliance that um, is supporting Palestinians. We know the whole world outside the West supports them. So um, there are just different shifts. And even uh, even base, your basic American is waking up to um, the Jewish issue that um, we're not going to take it anymore. We're not dumb anymore. This is this is um, waking up 2.0. COVID woke a lot of people up. And it's like, oh, this is what's going on. And now October 7th, we're having round two of people waking up in these spirals of waking up. So actually, I think there's a lot of positivity, which um, I can segue into um, for multipolar world, there's still so much more to talk about this and what's going on. But um, where do you want to go next? Well, well, 
the United States government is still openly and proudly now, without any question, there's no no haze, there's no there's no fake, we're honest brokers, or we want to be part of this. It's bullshit. Biden said US is Israel and Israel is the US. We're supporting them 100%. We don't care. Let's get them 100 billion between Ukraine and, and Israel. Come on, guys. We need to get more money after the 280 billion that we spent of U.S. taxpayer money that has completely failed every woman, man, woman, and child in the Middle East. Completely failed for 100 years. It's a failure, and they're still doubling down on it. And so, yeah, there might be some woke and, and lefties and people up there in America waking up. And I agree with you that it's more now than ever, ever before. Uh, and that's good news. But the U.S. government, they don't care. They don't freaking care. They're being bought off by the Zionists. The Congress cannot move. I saw the other day that AOC complained and said, yes, we we, we care about the, the deaths in Israel, but they're a function of occupation. We need to end occupation. And boy, did she get hammered, right? I'm sure they're going to, I'm sure ADL and APAC is on the case. They're going to be funding her, you know, her opponents on campaign to get her ass kicked out of there if they don't kill her. You know what I mean? Um, right. So we have a disconnect. We have a, an American public that's waking up, but a U.S. government that absolutely won't. What say you, Kat? Right. Well, I'm really tired of everybody saying, well, the U.S. is doing this and the U.S. is doing that. It's not us. We're an occupied nation, Zogged, Zionist occupied nation. So every time they say the U.S. and sully our name, I, you know, in the past we had robber barons who did a lot but at this point in time, we are proxies. Our government is a proxy for the um, diasporan uh, Jewish um, power that exists throughout the world. Now, we have to obligatorily say, I'm not talking about rank and file Jews. These are an elite cabal of Jews. Um but um, they, they really know how to push buttons of their brethren and um, get them all upset as well. But we have to remember, they'll say, well, no, it's Rockefellers also. So, yes, it is the U.S. establishment. You know, um, the Rothschilds and their brethren were multi-billionaires before the first Rockefeller mogul was even born. So basically, all of the, the robber baron moguls just knew where to get in line if they wanted to stay part of the um, the, the hegemonic powers. Because really, um, all along, certainly since the Neapolonic Wars, it's been um, Rothschild and their brethren. And now what people don't fail to understand, because they've been able to mask it so well, is that at this point in time, um, the Jewish wing is in control of the 1%. The, the, the Jewish 1% controls the 1%. Um, starting mostly in 1913 with the uh, Federal Reserve, then in 1963 with the assassination of, of JFK, which they did, and then definitively at 2001 when they did the 9-11. And so now we are not in control to say Biden or Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter. Our courts, it doesn't matter. Everything, the media certainly. And so here is the problem is Sun Tzu, um, the Chinese uh, wise philosopher in his book, The Art of War, I'm going to paraphrase it. But if you can't bottom line ID who your enemy is, if you don't understand who they are in their psychology, you can't, you can't defend yourself. And how are you going to take them out if you don't really know who you're dealing with? And there's um, people say, well, it's just all the 1%. I'm saying stay, say their names. Stop the euphemisms. It's not all just a uh, 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 oligarchical 1% because the, the 1% has been hijacked by this wing that we can't – we're occluded. It's like we've been brainwashed and censored and propagandized. Um, at least – Germans in the 1930s got to say who was uh, taking over their country. Um, we we can't say it. We're not allowed to say it. And more and more people can't think it because of this cultural Marxism woke that we've had four generations of people who have pretty much been brainwashed. And one of the main tools they used is um, what I call do-gooder derangement syndrome. They know that we're really um, 
really good people. Humanity is basically good. Uh, Goyim are good people and they've weaponized our kindness against them. So I say, say their names, stop the euphemisms, neocon, neoliberals, Kazarians, Sabbateans, Atlanticists. Um, this is a, uh, an elite Jewish cabal, not the rank and file, but the elite. And um, as a result, um, how far are we going to get if we continue to say U.S. is doing this? We have to say it's resolved. It's a Zionist-occupied government. That's really important. Otherwise, how are we going to stand up within our own country if we're occluded, we're, we're in a fog? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I'm going to start using that more often because uh, I've been using the U.S.-Israeli axis of evil because, you know, I don't want to condemn the U.S. taxpayer, but it's their money that's being used um, unwittingly without their permission, obviously. Um, and obviously that's happening. But it's it's hard because you got to say something. And and so when you say U.S. is really access, the U.S. is Israel, Israel is the U.S. I mean, that's what Joe Biden went out there and said. Now, Biden is just a figurehead, right? But he's he's got to toe the line. So he's going to go out there and say the U.S. is Israel, Israel is the U.S. 100% we're backing you no matter what. And, and as if, October 7th just happened out of the blue. Like, we can't believe it happened. Like, I, I, I don't know how this happened. This is unbelievable. You believe what happened? You see what they did? Like, dude, where have you been for 56 freaking years under occupation? Are you serious? So uh, I think, um, uh, did you see Bassem Yusuf, uh, the, the English, uh, the, the Egyptian comedian, say on um, Piers Morgan? Did you see that? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah, I think he said something to the effect of, let me see if I can find it. I think he said... Uh, what did he say? He said, uh, oh, gosh, I forget what he said. Something to the fact that you're shooting fish in a barrel and you're getting upset when you get splashed. Something like that. Is that what he said? Yeah, yeah. yeah if I recall. He had many good gems. And that was perfect because that's exactly what it is. You've been shooting fish in a barrel for a long, long time. And, and, and when you get splashed, all of a sudden you're the victim? Come on, man. This is complete bullshit. Okay. I'd rather someone just be honest and say, you know what? We don't give a shit about Palestinian lives. We want a genocide. We want to get rid of all of them. We've been doing that since 1948. If you look at the map, we've been dwindling, dwindling, dwindling. At now the West Bank is just a, a, a maze of nothing. It's like just little spots of Palestinians in between Jewish settlers from New York City. And, and, and Gaza is just a freaking concentration camp. I mean, this is where it's going. This is where the powered money is going. You know, if you'd be honest about it, that'd be easier to do. But they're not honest about it, right? They've been lying the whole time, right? And the American public, all they do is go, yeah, Hamas is a bad group. They're terrorists. Uh, uh, what else do I have? Fox News. Uh, what else should I say, you know? I mean, this is getting annoying. I want to ask you, Kat, uh, about the Christian Zionist movement um, in the United States. There's a lot of Christian Zionists out there that are funding Israel, Um What's going on in the state of affairs in America? I'm in Mexico, so I don't understand, but you can tell me what's actually happening on the ground and how much power that actually still has in America. Um, I think as a quantitatively as a voting block um, and a financial uh, powerhouse, um, that's a very strong support system for Israel. It's hard to even differentiate just Christian Zionists. Everywhere you look is a strong support system for Israel across all of our institutions. All the money is going there. Congress is totally unipartied up. Um, it almost singularly, they they are on a one um, a, a one vote for Israel. It's um, so when we look at the Christian Zionists. We have to remember that that also was a Jewish operation. I don't think people, a lot of people know the history of it. Alison Weir in her wonderful book, um, um, what was her book called? Uh, I Jesus was a Palestinian? No. Uh-uh. Uh, oh, gosh. I've read it like three times. But Alison Weir's wrote a, written a wonderful book that explains the history of where uh, Christian Zionism comes from. And um, that is... Um, Back in the early 1900s, um, the Jewish cabal managed to get a disreputable pastor and get a book. A new version of the Bible came out um, based on the name of this pastor. His name was Schofield. I can't remember his first name. And it was called the Schofield Bible. And they had it printed in Oxford, England. And it was it was very innovative. It talked about creation in different ways. Um, uh, dispensation, um, 
different new um, intellectual concepts put into the Bible, but probably one of the most um, important and triggering had to do with um, eschatology, the end times, and um, an understanding that um, the, about the Jews um, and uh, Jesus is not going to come, this whole rapture stuff. I don't totally understand it because I don't go deep in that kind of uh, religious way. But from a political perspective, I do know that this completely fake, that the pastor was an alcoholic, a fake version of the Bible um, swept like wildfire uh, through the United States. And um, many people pick this book up. And now who, who even knows about the Schofield Bible? But the remnants remain in the form of uh, Christian Zionists who um, believe wrong versions. So there's a lot of propaganda. And so once again, who put it out? Jewish people. We're getting an incredible amount of propaganda. And that, that's what's going on in our bubble right now. Most people probably think that U.S. is still number one and Israel's going to win this war. They are so outnumbered. The entire world is opposed to Israel. U.S. is no longer number one. Russia is the number one military might in the world right now. They just clobbered Ukraine. The U.S., our military is wearing skirts and have given away all of our weaponry. There's no way we can help. Israel is too small. If they at all keep doing this saber rattling um, against Iran, uh, it's almost like they want a World War III because they love chaos, uh, order out of chaos. But things are not on their side anymore, on Jewish people's side, on, on the elite Jew side. They, they basically fomented World War I, uh, World War II, and now World War III is on the horizon, which is just a continuation of World War I and World War II. It's all kind of the same war, um, which I believe is um, a form of Jews, the chosen people, to uh, gain world control. And it's not really that hard. If you want to control the world, you basically need three things. Uh, trifecta, I call it. You need to own the finance. Well, who owns all the money? The uh, central banks, um, the, 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 um, the Wall Street, um, London, the, the city of London. You need so you need to own finance if you want to really control the world. You need to own uh, the narrative. So who owns all the media? And it's not just media. It's Hollywood. It's education. Everything that impacts how we think. Um, it's psychology. It's advertising. Public relations. It's fashion. It's music. All of these different things that impact um, a an, an impression of how we think, and then the third thing, which finally is uh, gives anybody who can uh, corral those three things power, is the technology. And the technology mm. includes social media, both for the algorithming, programming people of how to think, as well as the censorship through the social media. And then the technology also covers. Um, the surveillance software, the uh, biomedical, uh, uh, COVID kind of the, the whole uh, vaccines. I don't even like to use that word, the, the bioweapon. Um, yeah, we shouldn't be using that term because the minute we start saying that term, we're canceled oh, right. on YouTube immediately. Yeah. Okay, I shouldn't have said the V word. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, Google loves to cancel about everybody when you mention that word, so. But in any event, now technology is at the point where a small hierarchical collective, a central political politburo, basically, can control the world through um, technology with an ID passport. So we know who owns the finance. We know who owns the narrative. And actually now the technology, I don't care how many front-facing Bush, Cheney, Rumfelds you have, the front um, the, the technology is also owned basically by elite Jews. So- they kind of have us by the balls and people have to understand that um, the, the control of our society is really pivotal on being able to call out who it is. If you don't know who the bottom line enemy is, how are you going to take them out? So we have to say that it's not the U.S., the U.S., I'll at least give credit to people who use the euphemisms and say neocons or Kazarians or something. They at least know who we're talking about. So, all right, go there because, yeah, you will get censored. If not, lose your job. If not, get killed or get the cancer shot. You know, it's very dangerous saying this stuff because they have so much control and power. But we, 
that's the waking up that's happening that's amazing right now that I'm seeing in my community of people who are starting to say their name. Really? That's the, that's that is the new event in America, by the way. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's never happened in my lifetime. I know it's happening now. It's always been, oh, it's the KKK. Well, for one, the KKK was started by Jews, B'nai B'rith. Um, so it, it, no, it's not. They want to keep it binary that you're either with Jewish people or you're a, a goose stepping neo-Nazi white supremacist fascist. No, it's not binary. There are people who are looking at just facts and seeing the results of those facts that in our country, elite Jews and and all the people who profit from that are taking us to the cleaners. People have no idea how much white collar money is being taken out of our system. And then, of course, Ukraine was just one big money laundering machine um, okayed by the Jewish hierarchy that runs our country, passed through another Jewish uh, country, Ukraine, where the, the president and prime minister were Jewish, and then out again through nefarious channels, many of which are run by Jews, like organ trafficking and human trafficking. Ultimately, Israel is ground zero for the orchestration of that. So, uh, we are just being um, asset stripped completely by these people they, because that's what they did to Russia. They destroyed Russia. Then they moved on to Europe, basically um, hollowed out Europe. And now they're hollowing out us, the U.S. And the game plan, I think, was not to completely destroy, but just to reign supreme. Um, and Putin uh, finally, they, the wall finally came down. They were completely, uh, Russians were on their, their last leg, but Putin came, rose up and kicked them out. And China kicked out Soros. So where we're at is we have to kick out this parasite because it's, it's, it's eating us up. Literally, it's destroying our food. They, they, they control all of this. And um, their next step was to the Chinese. So I've been concerned, very concerned about the Chinese for the past couple of years, that they'd be a weak link in the chain of humanity that finally says no. So in these last three years, tectonic shifts are happening in that Russia has pummeled, uh, Ukraine is a Jewish war. Russia has won that war, pummeled them. And then we've got Xi, who is now standing up. I was very worried because the neoliberal wing has sent in their financialization people to um, invade uh, China from through through fintech financialization and technicalization. Is China going to succumb? Which way are they going to go? And China is now standing up for Palestinians. And then that's the whole multipolar unipolar world that has now been carved is carving itself out in ways that I think these people who thought that they were going to rise up and be the chosen people to control the whole world because they have the trifecta of money, narrative, and technology, it's not working out the way they plan. And if they don't watch it with all this saber rattling and their own uh, psychosis that can't even see themselves in the true light, they might even get raised. I'm not saying it. I would never want that for the actual Israeli people, but if if they really start poking uh, poking different bears beyond Russia, I I Iran, uh, they could, this World War Three is not going to go well for them if they start that. They're the ones who are going to get beat and raised to a rubble. Right. You know, I, I want to talk about those tectonic shifts outside uh, the United States. What's happening? Because a, a lot of people in the United States may not even know this. They may, maybe they've never even heard of BRICS. Can, can you illuminate us on this on the 2023 status of what's going on outside the United States? The new philosophical ways of looking at the world, the de-dollarization, the promise of cryptocurrency. Can you expand on that and help our listeners and readers know about that more, please? Yes, it's really exciting. I was just so forlorn because I, I'm in this bubble where we are completely controlled by these people who we have, that they have all the choke points. And what has happened, what has been brewing, um, but um, it is um, an alignments outside of the West. So when I say the West, I mean Europe, Australia, Japan is included, Canada, 
and and the U.S. That's basically the West. And then whoever they can hijack or put a gun to their head to come on and be a part of the coalition of the willing, which nobody ever really wanted. But hey, the U.S. had all the money and um, and all the power. And so now, gradually, it's changing. And the biggest shift was um, really Putin has done an extraordinary job of building up his country, of Russia. And so finally, he couldn't do it in 2014. They just didn't have the military might. But finally, he waged a preemptive defensive um, attack on Ukraine, and it's against the U.S., and um showed the world, I don't know if he knew if he was that um, self-assured, but it's very, very clear um, if you're looking from afar as opposed to being in the middle of the U.S. media bubble, the, the Jewish media bubble, is that um, Russia definitely has won that war and has shifted the power uh, to Russia. So that's the Russian component of it. And those sanctions was the stupidest move of all because the whole world saw that uh, the West just outright stole that. It wasn't frozen or sanctions. It was stolen $300 billion of uh, Russia's money. And Russia actually made out like a bandit. They couldn't be doing better because um, they're not they're not motivated by emotions. They don't react. They're they're very um, um, they're one of the leaders of this new multipolar world. And what they bring with it is um, they're adults in the room, and they um, bring a th- true three D chess, five D chess. They are the ch- essential chess players, and they are able to um, strategize in ways that the reactive West has not been able to strategize. And so um, here we have uh, Russia as becoming a very strong powerhouse. And when we start talking about finances, that really comes from um, Russian thought leadership. But now the the other big, huge powerhouse is China. And um, China is um, just exercising so much restraint around the world and beyond restraint, exercising extraordinary diplomatic skills. Just incredible. They've been going all over the world and unlike bombing the entire world, China is investing in the countries that they go to. They're teaching them the technology. They're really bringing goodwill to all these countries in a way that it it becomes obvious. And, um, when you think about it, well, they're just doing that or they're just acting like they're uh, going to be good. Um, they're just evil. All of them are just evil New World Order as well. Well, I would like to think that, yes, we are moving into a New World Order, but I believe China and Russia as somewhat leaders, not hierarchical our way or the highway leaders, but as thought leaders, um, I believe um, Putin and she are going to be recognized in history as some of the greatest statesmen of our era. Um, there was recently an extraordinary uh, conference. Well, they've been having them for 20 years at Valdai um, in, uh, in, in Russia. And it's just amazing that so many people from the non-West came to think about higher ideals. What do we want for humanity? Fairness equality, um, the ability to have, uh, by and large, free thought. And so what we're seeing in the multipolar world from these, the, 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 the thinking that they're moving in is, um, well, we can see it in their trade agreements. Their trade agreements are, are like practical instruments that illuminate the intellectual um, um, aspirational direction that um, the multipolar world is going, sometimes called the world majority. Some people are calling it that. And that is um, a, a Russian man, Sergei Glazhnev, um, came up with the alternative monetary system that isn't in place yet. It's going to be an alternative to SWIFT. But the components of it are um, that everyone has a seat at the table. So they call it the basket of currencies. So Russia has a strong ruble. Uh, China has a strong yuan. But what does Congo have? Well, Congo has um, lithium or bauxite that they can bring that to the table and have a fair seat at the table. Another factor, important factor, um, whereas the U.S., it's no, it's the dollar, the dollar, no matter what. 
um, in terms also of money is that um, whatever currency in the basket of currencies you bring, whether it's an actual kind of um, paper currency or um, a, a resource, is that the price is never going to fluctuate. Two years from now, it's going to be the same price. So people can plan this speculation that is a, a fine black art that elite Jews have mastered to speculate and basically rob and steal massive amounts of money from everybody. Wealth of wealth. It's it's not just money, right? It's wealth, right? Is it just right? Exactly. In in very usurious ways, right? That is not going to be part of the new system at all. It's going to be fixed. Um, other um, plans that this system will have is that sovereignty that. People are not allowed, uh, members are not allowed to meddle in other people's affairs. Um, whatever you're doing, we may not like it, but we can still continue to talk. We're not sanctioning anybody. We're not going to stop diplomatic efforts. If you want to be part of these trade alliances, you have to be able to leave others alone and also to be able to talk if you have problems. And that's where she did a, a just a, a, probably one of the greatest coups, um, diplomatic coups of the century, where he got Saudi Arabia to talk with Iran um, and come together. And Putin got Turkey to talk with Syria. And the whole point is, if you're not talking, if you're not being peaceful, you can't be part of these extraordinary trade alliances that we're building. And part of these trade alliances is not just people to come together and say, yes, we'll trade, we'll work with you. Um, it's um, these trade routes that have been built um, largely by China. And um, they go north-south, they go through waterways. There's one right now that just opened up about a month ago from Shanghai to Kaliningrad, which is um, Russia's most westernest point that's actually in uh, Poland. And so they have, it's the Arctic route that travels through that. So they have all of these uh, trade routes. It's the new uh, um, Bricks and Road that um, has, or excuse me, Belt and Road um, that's starting that, uh, that and then the, the, the trade alliances like Bricks, like EAEU and um, uh, uh, Shanghai, C SCO, I mean, it's just amazing. Everybody is trying to get in and jumping on the bandwagon so that they can be a part of it. It's, it's very, very can, can, exciting. Let me let me bring some a few things up here in Mexico. I don't know if you know this, but uh, we're now the number one trading partner with the United States. But uh, people don't really know why, uh, and I'll tell you why. It's because the United States has been pushing back on China, and China's like, "Oh, really? Okay." So China just invested billions of dollars in factories in Mexico. And it's bringing all their technology over here. And they're making all this shit right here in my backyard. And then they ship it to the United States. And they call it made in Mexico. That's why Mexico's number one now. Um, China invests. China does not wage war like the Americans do. The Americans, uh, excuse me, uh, the Zionist occupied government of the United States and Israel. Um, what they do is th they're all about weapons, right? We, weapons and killing people, right? We're, we're going to kill all the Gazans. Let's exterminate those people. We don't like them. Let's let's send Saudi, let's not do business only. Let's just send Saudi Arabia a thousand million F-15s, and, and that's going to make our world better. China says, nah, I don't think so. They build jobs. Uh, right now, we have a brand here, a, a car brand here called Cherry, C-H-I-R-R-E-Y. It's pronounced Cherry or Cherry. I'm not sure. And I'm like, how is this car on the road? What is this? Like, It's like two-thirds the price of any new car. It's, like, it's cheaper, right? But it looks like every other SUV. It's from China. I've never seen that before, right? So these are all new things. China's doing it the right way. And the Zog, the American system, the West, if you want to call it that, is doing it the wrong way. And, and, and we know it's wrong because they've had 100 years of failure in the Middle East. And I mean abject failure, Cap. Failure. Mark Sykes and Francois Pico, uh, they never even went to um, the Middle East. And they're the ones who drew up the map of these fake countries that don't exist. They cut people and tribes in half. They don't know what the hell they were doing, right? Just here, this is for England and this is for France and this is Lebanon and this is Iraq and blah, blah, blah. They, they, even, they even drew the freaking flags for them. This whole Middle East stinks. It stinks, okay? And we need a better... A better view. I, I want to read something to you. 
Uh, I've been asking all of our VT readers and, and writers for their opinions on this. I have a big think. I get criticized for it and then I get support for it. I, I want to get your opinion about it. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to read it to you real quick. It's called The Big Think is basically, let me get this on my screen here. Uh, one second here. Uh, my screen. Where's my screen here? Give me a minute here. I'll get it on the screen. Okay. Here's the big think. The world has failed and failure earns no reward. Therefore, I demand a paradigm shift to a Middle East union where we have one citizenship, one passport, one money, freedom for all its citizens to live, work, travel, and worship. Jew, Christian, Muslim, pagan, all free. We, we know this works already because after 500 years of killing each other in Europe, we now have the EU, and, and I've traveled through the EU. I don't know if you have, but um, you know you don't need a passport. You can go live and work wherever you want, and that's kind of how I see a possible future Middle East that's not U.S. involved. That's not U.S. created. It's it's in, uh, created by the Middle Eastern people. Four hundred million trading block that can compete with the EU and the the West here. What, what's your opinion about that? Do you think that's possible, or is that just pie in the sky? Am I crazy, or what? Well, my concern about these um, regional hegemonies is that um, I don't. On the one hand, EU had the promise of possibility, but what it's become is unelected, unaccountable uh, politburo, and people don't. The countries don't really have a say so, and um, it, it, it's. It, the, the premise is good. Um, I really like no passports, um, and I really like one um, um, uh, monetary system. The, the, the conveniences are nice, but actually you have to look back and say, well, who, who strategized this? Who planned it? And what is their ultimate agenda once they get you in? Like they got us in the internet, but what really were they going to do with this? The digital ID. They get us into an EU, which sounded good. And then what really is it going to do? And, and it's just become its own um, centralized dictatorship. So to, I, I understand your, uh, your promise with saying that. Um, I, I support um, nationalism, and that's the other thing that I like about um, the the multipolar world is unlike the unipolar world where the U.S. sits at the top, and again, it's not the U.S., but we're the face Zog. of it. It sits at right. the top and dictates to everybody else how it's going to go. Whereas in the multipolar world, it's very clear that even though um, Putin and Xi are thought leaders and economic leaders. Valdai was just a perfect example of where they want the voice of everybody. And what they think is not necessarily going to reign supreme. It's not hierarchical. It's very much a cooperative. That's what um, uh, China called their big uh, bricks. They called it Shanghai Cooperative Organization, where everybody gets a piece. So um, I, I don't even know if I'd want to put the words EU, I guess more just to say it's an alliance. So I support regional alliances that feed into bigger um, global alliances. Those are good as long as it's not like um, a WTO, these uh, GATT, these world trade things that the World Economic Forum is trying to put together where they, they look like they're for everybody, but they're unaccountable and unelectable. And I think we have to keep thinking local as we think regional and global, because only at the local level do the people really have control. And so it, it, how, how do we stop what's happening in Israel and Palestine? We, we have Israeli kids dying. We have a tremendous amount of Palestinians have been killed and murdered and, and, you know, the, the Israelis call it, say, well, we have 200 hostages. Well, they arrested 1,400 people in the West Bank. The IDF just went in there and arrested 100, uh, 1,400 people. They call them arrested. I call them hostages. How the hell do you go into the West Bank, steal people, and not call them hostages? We've got to put a stop to this. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. How do we stop it then? What, what can well, we do? What I what I call it is um, the five 5,000 Palestinian political prisoners, which is now, it's doubled in two weeks. It's now 10,000 Palestinian political prisoners. I call them straight up hostages, political prisoners. They're just as much hostages as well. As um, in terms of what do we do? Well, uh, the world's in a pickle right now. And the main people who have been um, orchestrating and commandeering it all are, um, I think on one level they don't mind because they 
They want all this chaos because then they can come in and pick up the rubble and figure out how they want it. That's what they did with the um, the Bolshevik Revolution. They certainly did it with World War One and World War Two. Who made out with bandits? Qui bono? Um, Israel got um, Palestine as a result of World War One and World War Two, which they were. I don't know if everybody knows, but the Zionist contingent um, had a whole place at Versailles. What are they doing there? They're not even. Um, they didn't have even have a country. Um, I don't. I don't know if there are solutions right now, but I think it's just really important that we understand uh, the dichotomy that exists in the West and East in this multipolar unipolar world that in it's kind of a kinder, gentler version. Um, But they're talking about flowering, thriving trade alliances, cooperation, whereas here in the West it's war bank heist that Silicon Valley bank takedown. That was a heist by Jews. Um, They, they, they're, they're running all of our monetary systems and the hyperinflation trillion We're 33 trillion in debt. Where's all, who are we in debt to? Uh, Duh. There's a fentanyl ethno side going on. We've got all this illegal migration and COVID. We are in such a death spiral that we're not even really going to be able to help. And I contend that all of those leaders who went to and are still going, there's, I think Czechoslovakia and Australia are in meeting with Bibi Netanyahu today, but who all has been the, the um, UK, we sent uh, Blinken and uh, Biden, um, um, uh, Macron from France went, um, Italian uh, prime minister went, um, who else? Two, two other countries uh, sent people. Czechoslovakia sent. Um, a, when have in times of, of war and major conflict, have all the major leaders, one by one, they certainly didn't come together, um, gone to uh, one side of the warring party to meet with them? Now, that is very unusual, supposedly to go and support. And I mean, I'm sure from Netanyahu's end, it's like, yeah, come and tell me, just like uh, Zelensky, how much money are you going to give me? I want more money. Well, he's been kicked to the curb once they saw that he got uh, trounced. We don't even hear about him anymore. Um, But now it's Netanyahu. Okay, I want all the money. Give it to me. Um, I think um, the, the fact of the matter is they... They can't lie to him. There isn't any more money unless you want to print another couple trillion and then we explode in some kind of uh, strange uh, devolution. Uh, the whole economy explodes, which is actually where we're going. I'd really like to get into Bitcoin, but let me just finish with this. Um, it is my speculation that they didn't go to support as all the um, the leaders of the free world um, are saying. We went there to support. They, that's the public facing. I contend that they went because Netanyahu right now, all of Israel is like a a drunk with a a gun, just waving it around. And even their own, his own allies in the West are like, okay, how are we going to keep him from uh, starting war? And, 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 and that's what Putin and she are trying to do. How are we going to keep this quiet? We can't go in yet. He's only going to be able to genocide so much longer. It just can't happen. So I think it's just so uh, dire that, um, I mean, Putin tried to uh, put forth in the United Nations, but they can't really do it because this is this is on our turf. Israel is on our turf. So they're they're just trying to be patient. They've probably told Hamas, and uh, not Hamas per se, because they're the they're getting the hit. They're ground zero right now. But Hezbollah, just you know, just cool your jets a bit. We we don't want this to get out of hand, which it can very very quickly. And I think the West realized we got to go and talk this madman down. He's a drunk with a gun waving it around, and we don't know what's going to happen. So if you notice, they haven't had the invasion that they were going to have go into Gaza. Well, that was pretty obvious to any military strategist that you can't do that. But nonetheless, well, then how, how can everybody sit around? Bombs are probably even worse, if you ask me. It It's going to have to stop um, and we don't know because we don't have our levers on those who control Bibi Netanyahu. But I would contend that just as in the U.S., there's a battle between not a battle, but uh, what would you call internecine warfare, basically between neocons and neoliberals. 
together they come together and they're the Jewish cabal. But they are separate animals, if you will. They're, they're kind of different. And let me just kind of explain it because then we can extrapolate to Israel and the U.S. Within the U.S. itself, we've got kind of the left and right, if you will. The neoliberals are a little bit more leftist. They're the adults in the room. They wear the suits. They're more measured. Um they they have a whole world that they want to build. They're not necessarily excited about a nuke blowing it all to rubble. That's not going to help their agenda. Um, but um, don't be uh, naive about it. They have a war going on too. It's just waged differently. Uh, when Larry Fink goes in, he's got fintech going on, financial technology. They do policies, war by policy, the world economic See, Larry war. Fink, that's BlackRock, right? Yes, BlackRock. Sorry, I should have said that. Right. BlackRock has the third largest GDP in the world. In other words, the money that they control. Only U.S. first, then China has more money than BlackRock, which is a corporation which is able to do um, a a whole different agenda than uh, countries can. It is said that only BlackRock was able to tell during COVID almost every country in the world, you better lock down your economy and wreck it or we will kill your economy. We will uh, put it to death by not giving you any loans whatsoever. And BlackRock is the only entity really that had that power, not the World Bank. That's that's incredible power, Kat. Incredible. Yeah, exactly. But And that's why I've been like, since 2020, oh my God, BlackRock, look what they're doing. And BlackRock is totally Jewish owned, totally. And they're in concert now with um, Vanguard and State Street. It's it's all, that's, that, that is the Jewish cabal right there. They answer to the Rothschild and the the 13 families. But um, so I could not see anything that would thwart that. And it seemed like China was in bed with them because part of the neoliberals um, are going into China because when Kissinger um, opened up China um, with the, um, uh, the, the factories, China became a slave labor uh, factory slave labor uh, country. But China's grown up and they don't want that anymore. That's not what they want. But in order to go to the next step, which is more financialization, who does it better than the Jews? So um, they came in and are working with the Chinese capitalists on fintech, financial technology. And so there's a delicate balance to what degree is, uh, is the CCP going to, uh, they need the Jewish people to the, the, these Jewish financiers to help them develop their economy to the next level, but you don't want them in too deep um, or they could take over like they've done us. They, they managed to get their way in and hollow out. Well, we've got racial things that kind of keep them out more, but nonetheless, the Chinese billionaires that are in alliance with the black rocks of the world, they're, they're at odds. The Chinese billionaires are at odds with their own country. Um, because I do believe in spite of everything we hear about surveillance, I'm not saying it's not there, but I do believe that the, the CCP and she really want to help their people. China brought over 800 to 900 million people out of poverty. Now, all of the corollary in the U.S. is they've been they've been stealing 800, 900 billion off of us. They haven't helped our people out of poverty. So. Um, so to get back to um, the difference between the neoliberals and the neocons, the neoliberals have um, the, the war by um, um, World Economic Forum pandemic treaty policies um, using NGOs, financial instruments, ESG, which is woke for business. So it's a more cerebral, strategic, you wear your suit and you stay cryptically in the background, whereas the neocons are the unhinged, rabid corollary is the settlers in, in um, uh, Israel. And they're the ones who are into Russia phobia. That's the, the whole vengeful war in Ukraine in large part was their psychological unhingement against Russia. Uh, their war, war, war. They did 9-11. That was the, um, the neocons uh, put together, um, what was it called? Pecon, wait, P-Tech. Oh, sorry, I can't remember its name right now. But they were the ones who did the whole paper about how we're going. PNAC, sorry, Project for a New America. America can be the, pardon? Yeah, Partnership for a New America, right? Yeah, America be the new powerhouse. So they were whispering into the the Goy leaders, Bush, Cheney, Rumsfeld, you can control the world. We'll show you how you do it. They're overt Zionists. 
we don't know if Larry Fink's a Zionist. They do money laundering and they're the ones with the nukes. They're the BB. Well, I'll get to now the more the international version of this. If, if the neoliberals are cerebral, the neocons are far more ham fisted. So now if we take it up, so we've got neoliberals versus neocons. And now we look at it at a global level. We've got um, in in Israel, the same thing kind of going on is they have the settlers, which are like the neocons, and then they have their liberals too, who are opposed to uh, Netanyahu. So they have that dialectic going on as well. I believe in this country, ultimately, um, they they it's like it's like the neoliberals have like these fanged dogs that they're holding on to a leash somewhat, but they let them out to war, uh, do the money laundering, get all kinds of chaos, and they let them out only so far, and then they draw them back. And I believe that between the Israel and diaspora and Jews, especially here in America, um, is, is exemplified by BlackRock. I believe that in America, they're the adults in the room that are going to tell Israel, which is right now run by uh, sort of the neocon unhinged. No, uh, they'll let them go so far, create all kinds of chaos. So money can happen through that. The war machine is big, but it comes to a point where Israel is like, nope, that's enough because they want actual terrain where they can build stuff. They're the, the neoliberals are actually involved in the Belt and Road Project which has scared me all along because they have their hooks into China through the China Construction Bank. And they got China to change laws so that they can open businesses that are 51% foreign ownership. So uh, BlackRock and um, other uh, allies um, are, are owning these kind of entities. And it's like, okay, it's maybe helping China get to the next level, but that's not good. And they've wormed their way into the Belt and Road on the one hand, that's bad. On the one hand, that's good. In the way that it's bad, it's like, oh, no, don't let them take them over. Come on, China, look to your inner Tao, your inner Chi, because the inner what's going on of the new world order of of um, the, the Jews is, is revenge, lie, cheat, steal, uh, hatred of, of non-Jews, uh, whereas China has thousands of years of Chi, of, of, uh, of, of Tao. And also they have a history from the opium wars of who they're dealing with. So, okay, maybe they need them, but please, I hope. And and so this alliance of Xi with Putin is very, very positive that um, they're not going to let BlackRock worm their way in. And they, they won't let BlackRock um, take over the, the um, bank. That bank is shut. The People's Bank, they're keeping the keys. And that's one of the reasons I believe that the Jewish cabal is uh, poking the dragon in Taiwan. They're really pissed because they, they want at the, the pensions, the Chinese pensions, and they want at the assets that's in the central bank. And she has not given it to them. They'll, okay, you can come in Belt and Road and do, do stuff. But so this big war that's about to happen, I think maybe our saving grace is ultimately going to be the neoliberals since Jews still control and, and saying, uh, no, we don't want this to happen because they've got Belt and Road stuff that they want to do for starters. It's an incredible dynamic what's going on right now in the world that's like we've never seen before. This has never been seen in world history, I think. Agree? Right. And okay. what we ultimately have to realize, because it's not like, you know, this is still New World Order stuff, but I'd like to explain a bit um, the concept of New World Order. It's sort of like, um, guns don't kill people, people kill people. Um, technology can be really, really great. It depends on who's running it. And so no, we, we, the people don't want this new world order. We didn't, there, there were huge um, rebellions when the social security card came out and then we got acclimated to it. It's like in the days of horse and buggy. So what is a country going to do? No, we don't want those cars. We can envision they're going to be polluting. They're going to be expensive. There's going to be a lot of auto wrecks. We don't want them. But if everybody starts having cars, what are you going to do? Stick with horse and buggy? So gradually you get in alignment with where the technology is going and just hope that you have good laws for driving, that you good laws against polluting. So in, in, in some ways, some of these 
technologies can be good. It just depends on how they're being run. And I believe the multipolar world, because we're already seeing it in all of their documents coming together and how they're interacting, their whole point of view is kinder, gentler, um, humane, democratic. Meanwhile, we've become what the old Soviets were. And the Soviets really were just the Jews still from uh, the Bolshevik revolution that when you hear communists, Bolshevik, Soviet, just we're not taught this, but that's just, it means Jew. And we are being taken over by the same kind of collectivist people who want a world communism where they sit at the top. And so the new world order that they're telling us that, that we're perceiving, I believe that it will be worse. I'd rather live under a new world order that she and Putin and the rest of the multipolar world are putting together because also another strong component is traditional values, not the degeneracy to break down our families, break down our minds um, with this trans stuff, this woke stuff. That's all to just break us down in order to build back better that makes for easier control by them. We lose sight. Once when you lose sight of yourself, then your family, your community, then your country, then you're ripe for control. And a very, very strong component of these other countries is our traditional values. We want to keep them. So in order to answer your bigger question, how can we stop this right now? Well, we're, we're in the thick of it. It's not just going to be a light switch that we can turn on and off, but I'm highly hopeful that there's certainly measured people um, outside of the West who are have fabulous ideas are thriving and and truly want peace and all all support Palestine versus this unhinged drunk devolving down this death spiral of the West, which the Jewish elite have done to us thinking they they destroy us and then they could become the leaders of the world and then take over China whatever and it's just not working that way because it, it just like over over the centuries, They've been kicked out of um, 109 countries because their arrogance and their 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 close mindedness um, and, and and narcissism and what Laurent Guillenot, the uh, master um, um, philosopher and analyst of uh, the Jewish mind, um, has uh, has said this is a psychopathy that they have and they can't. They, they, psychopaths don't have empathy for others, so they can't see us in an empathetic way and they can't see themselves. And once again, I don't know what country they're going to because the 109 have been exhausted. I think they'll just disperse in the diaspora as they always have. But um, this is the, the globe is going to kick them out. This is going to be 110 and um, they're not going to be able to continue to do what they're doing. And Kevin Barrett has a fabulous article out today Um if anybody reads it, please note my three comments that I wrote to it. But he talks about, um, how did he say it? Um, are Jews avenging um, their foreskins? And what that means is he's talking about um, um, th their, their circumcision practices. And what does that do to the psyche of a people who for 3,000 years have been doing male genital mutilation to their their um their spawn and so it, they say that mind control one of the components uh, of mind control is torture and that's what this is they've been torturing um their children their babies for 3000 years and what that does to the this this psychological soul of a people and um, they're taking us in this transhumanist agenda that is so anti the divine creator, which most of the rest of the world believes in. They want to be the, the great authoritarian figure. So really, this worldwide struggle is not so it's no longer left or right anymore. And it's not even really West versus East. It's really um the establishment versus the anti-establishment, the the ninety nine percent of us, we the people, versus the one percent, and and I'd hate to see anybody in the multipolar world turn and and become oh now I can be just a um, a big uh, bully bigot. It's not about that. It's about getting the world on a thriving path where the good of all, the ninety nine percent, that's where we need to be going. And for whatever reason, the bulk of the Jewish um, um, thought leadership 
is completely out to lunch. They've reached the apotheosis, I guess, of what 3,000 years of, of mind control circumcision does to a people. Incredible. Now, Kat, I'm going to ask you a few questions before I let you go today because we are approaching the one-hour mark here. Uh, let's talk about you a little bit. I'd like to know about your journey, uh, and, and I think our VT readers would find your story interesting. You know, are you from New York City? Did you go to college there? How did you get to this point of being a social activist on these major issues in the world. Where do you come from? Uh, well, thank you for asking. Um, I actually grew up in a small rural town in Indiana of 900 people. And on um, my mother's side, um, her parents were immigrants from Italy. I actually have an Italian citizenship, Italian passport. Um, so they lived in Chicago and um, my mother came down to Indiana and met my father. And so my mother was FDR Democrat immigrant, FDR Democrat, very liberal. Um, and, um, and I looked up to her a lot. She, um, she taught me to read and to see a bigger world, even though I lived in a town of 900 people. On my father's side, so she was a city gal. My father's side um, it was Irish. And they came to this country before the potato famine, probably in the 1840s. Um, and they, they came to the rural Indiana and they, um, soon after being farmers, they, my grandpa started a, a state bank. So they were more wasp and my mother was more Dago wop. And she was so ashamed of herself at one uh, point that she changed her Italian name. Her Italian name is this beautiful mellifluous. Her first name is Aura. Her middle name is Laura. Our family name is Spatafora. My mother's name is Aura Laura Spatafora. <laughs> I love it. Aura Laura Spatafora. That's great. So she changed her name because she wanted to be American. She changed her name to Pat Flynn for oh. a while. Yeah, but then Pat, she went back. So anyway, my my father's people, straight up Republican. I went to John Bircher meetings with my dad in high school. And it was through him that I I, I learned all about conservatism. Um, and But I didn't relate to him. I, I um, aligned with my mother, who was more my role model. So I've been um, lefty all my life. I'm I think I was teething. I came out of the womb being a leftist, but now I'm a leftist who left the left. And it doesn't mean that I've gone right, but I've certainly found my inner father, my inner conservative self. And I'm trying to find balance now. So it's not, I, do I want to be like my mom and left? Do I want to be like my dad and right? No, I, I, I want to be for the people and it's based on issues. So I've been in New York for about 40 years now and um, it's worked really well, but um, um, I'm ready for a switch um, and um We'll see where that goes. So thank you for asking. That was nice. Oh, my you. pleasure. You know, we might be cousins. My, my father is from uh, Sicilian, uh, Sicilian Nabidon oh. from, uh, uh, you know, from, from the old, the old days, you know, they came to America in 1890, something like that, 1895, like that. Um, so, yeah. And then of course our name was changed a little bit. My, you know, was changed from an Italian name to an Americanized name. My mom is actually from Haifa, Palestine, and Palestinian. And a little note on her, uh, yeah, she's from Haifa. She's born in Haifa in 1939. She, she's part of Al-Nakba in 1948 when oh, the right. Haganah came and they threw our family out of our house. By the way, we're Christian, just so the Christians uh, right wing out there. You guys are killing us. Okay, just, just saying. Okay, um, they stole our house and we ended up in Tyre, Lebanon as refugees for three days thinking we'll go back. The family will go back, and that never happened. So they ended up in a Beirut refugee camp for 12 years. My grandmother happened to be born in Brazil, her, my mom's mom, because in those days, in 1917 or 1915, they were uh, importing Palestinians to work in the mines there. So my grandmother happened to be born in Brazil. So wow. we went to the American embassy, and they said, sorry, no Palestinians can come to America. She went, oh, we're not Palestinian. We're Brazilian. <laughs> and they, oh, you're Brazilian. Come on in. So... So they came to America in 1961 as Brazilians, even though nothing to do with Brazil, but that's okay. Uh, and so that's how I learned. Now, the funny thing about it, I didn't even know we were Palestinian until I was 18 years old. Yeah, oh. I had no idea. My mom would not tell the truth. My mom said she was Lebanese. Our family was embarrassed, Kat. Our family was embarrassed. We lost everything. We lost everything in Palestine, and they didn't want to talk about it. They never 
talked about it. And, you know, the old people, older generations, when bad things happen, it was zip it. We don't mention because of being judged in society. So my mom would walk around. Yes, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Lebanon. And I thought, oh, we're Lebanese. I, okay, that's great. Until one day my cousin came up to me and told me, did you know you're Palestinian? And I go, what the hell is Palestine? What are you talking about? What are we, what are you? I went home to my mom. I told her, I said, mom, are we Palestinian? And she looked at me and she says, where did you get that from? I said, my cousin Amin told me. And he said, yeah. She said, we are. And she started crying. <gasps> wow. It's very sad. Oh, wow. It's very sad. So when I talk about Palestine, it is personal. Uh, we, uh, and another story about my mother, 1939, I asked her, Mom, am I supposed to hate the Jews? She says, no. Let me tell you something. In Palestine, in Haifa, I walk outside. My neighbor's Jewish. My other neighbor's Muslim. And we're Christian. We all went outside and played. We were all friends. We never heard of this thing hating each other. That was from the politicians and from other people. That, that's not us. That's not who we are. So I don't hate, you know, to the ADL listening to this and the APAC, go oh, screw yourself. And if you keep calling me anti-Semite, I'm going to give you the finger here. There you go. Okay? Because I'm not anti-Semite. I'm a Semite myself. Okay? So forget you. That's a lie. That's that's like calling Kleenex, you know, Kleenex. It's not Kleenex. It's tissue paper. Stop marketing that nonsense to everybody telling everybody we're anti-Semite. That's bullshit. You want to say anti-Jewish? I'm not anti-Jewish. But if you want to say, say that, say this guy's anti-Jewish. Okay, fair But anti-Semite? This is bullshit, man. So Kat, on that note, I want to leave you with one more question before I let you go. It's 10, 20 years from now. Put your chess pieces together. Where are we in Israel and Palestine and where are we in the world? Just give me your prognostication about 10, 20 years from now. What are we looking at in this world? Trump's going to be 100 years old. If if, if Biden's still around, he's 102. Um, I don't know. You tell me. Well, they're showing all the polls show that the young um, don't like this uh, this whole division at all, that they support Palestinians. Um, and I believe that the multipolar world, they played their card right, they've been adults, and they uh, were, are going to create a very thriving, productive society. And I believe that instead of this radical, ugly transition, new world order, uh, great reset, build back better, I think they're going to be put down. It's not going to happen. They want this transhumanist world. But I think that um, the flowering that I see coming out of the traditional global majority is uh, one of positiveness. And I believe humanity is ready for a, a radical transition, but one of flowering and um, becoming the, the highest possible selves that we can be. And we'll, we will get on that path. I truly believe it. On that note, I'm going to say thank you, Kat, for being on our show. We didn't have a chance to talk about Bitcoin, but we're going to do it again some other time. Is that oh. okay? Yeah. Oh, I would love to. I have so much to say about Bitcoin. <laughs> well, Bitcoin right now is at 34500 right now. I just checked the price. It's been up yeah. about 15% a couple of days. So that's another subject. Let's do that next week. Okay, Kat? Sounds good. If you enjoyed this presentation, hit the like button now. Also, share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. VT approves this message.